This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. So what is it like to own 10,000 apartment units? What would you do? Would you quit your job? Would you keep doing it? Would you grow more? Uh, Well, our guest today, Mark Kenny has over 10,000 apartment units, has been able to develop an amazing network of investors and just ways to manage this many apartments. So we're going to talk to a little bit, get into this. Uh, Mark Kenny, how are you today? I'm good, Bronson. How are you doing? Always good Good. to see you. It's really good to see you as well. And I just appreciated your friendship over the years. But uh, you own over 10,000 units. And, you know, when people think of that, just that little fact, they think of, I think of Grant Cardone with, you know, the jets and the fancy living and kind of the bling bling lifestyle, but, uh, it, you know, I, can you explain kind of, you know, for you kind of what, how that you got to own 10,000 units and, and really why are you continuing to grow? Yeah. So I started out buying small multifamily over 25 years ago, originally with my, with my twin brother, uh, Michael, and then got married pretty young. My wife and I, Tamil started buying smaller multifamily and I was a CPA for a while, did IT consulting, management consulting, had IT business. And then and uh, 2013, started looking at doing uh, syndications originally as a passive investor. So I invested in a friend's deal and syndications, fancy word for raising money, typically from people to pool resources to buy a larger property. That's what it typically is. And I was like, mm, this kind of makes sense. And then my IT business was going pretty well um, and maybe too well, I guess. I, you know, I don't I never had a day off in, in 20 years as far as not having a project. So um, that was probably self-induced a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. and uh, for some reason it caused some problems with my wife, Tamil, uh, and she's like, man, it's not working. You need to do something different. So I said, well, let's start looking at doing larger multifamily. You both like it. She loved real estate. Marriage was 20. And um, we started just, uh, we spent about a year looking for properties and very frustrated. We looked at a lot of different other things as well. And uh, finally got a deal after about a year of looking. And um, I found that it all came down to providing some sort of value, whatever your value is, and a lot of different areas you can get, you know, provide value to other people. And everyone will tell you, hey, this relationship business, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. So it's a small world when you start looking at it. If you're going to be uh, a bad seller or a bad buyer then that's going to get around town. So we're always like, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. We're going to be good buyers, good sellers. And then uh, it really became down to partnering with other people that maybe can do certain functions that you don't like to do, or maybe you're not good at. And then together providing value and kind of putting a team approach together to look at markets that we're not at. So we have people in our, in our coaching group that are in certain states and locations that I don't live at. So that helps uh, boots on the ground type thing. But it really was, you know, one property at a time. We tried doing it on our own, just, you know, without syndicating and figured out, hey, every two, three years we can buy a property, but it's going to take a really long time to replace our income. But it really was this, you know, kind of group partnership mentality uh, that kind of allowed us to kind of get larger in different areas that we weren't located in. 
Right. You know, Mark, you, your story is, is a really cool story because I think a lot of people listening or that may have found this uh, have thought, you know, man, I don't know, 10,000, how do you ever get to that? It's like the idea of you know, eating an, ele an elephant, right? It's just one bite at a time. And so you started out, you started doing small multifamilies and then you started passively investing. And so we, you know, our business is multifamily real estate and we have passive investors that invest a certain amount to come in and join us on deals. So you got some experience that way. And then you said, we're just going to go for it. We're going to do it. We're going right. to really go over. So you're doing your own business. You make a shift. And you said it took about a year before you really got your first larger deal. Can you tell us kind of that process uh, and some of the obstacles you faced? Because I'm sure that if somebody's looking at it now thinking like, gosh, that elephant looks really big. Like, how do I, Yeah. Uh, what, what's the first way? Like, wh how was that first deal for you? So a couple of issues that probably contributed taking a year. One, I literally worked about you know 90 plus hours a week. Not like once in a while. That was my, my routine, you know, sleep about three hours a night, uh, every night, seven days a week. Wow. And uh, it was one of those things where I had a lot of stuff going on. So I had to make a decision to scale back a little bit and have some other people do some project work that I was maybe doing. And, and hey, why am I doing activities? I could at that time pay someone you know, $12, $15 an hour to do uh, that I was doing because I was capable of doing it, right? So, you know, it was one of those, those mindset things. Every dollar I pay out is a dollar out of my pocket is what I kind of thought at the time, not being very smart about it. And it was one of those things we didn't have very good um, criteria defined, like how many units we want and things like that. So we were kind of looking at things we could never even buy at the time and other items that were, you know, other properties so small that we wouldn't even want to buy them. So did not have a defined criteria, which was a big mistake initially. And what we also looked at a lot of other things, we looked at franchises, we looked at doing custom home development and some subdivisions. And so we were very distracted because I was trying to get out of my, my situation I was in as far as uh, you know, a number of hours working in IT. But then we developed a lot of good relationships with brokers. Um, we were in Dallas and that's where we were buying initially was in the Dallas market. We went on a lot of tours. Um, I think we, you know, ask good questions. I have a you know, background as far as finance, things like that. So underwriting was something that was probably, uh, you know, strength and I could do pretty quickly and, and ask some pretty, you know, uh, maybe detailed questions that gave me a little credibility sooner than maybe some other people with brokers and things like that. So we looked at a lot of different properties. You know, unfortunately, the first property we bought wasn't 100 units or above. It was 64, you know, units, which you know, going from, you know, two to four units, it's a big jump for sure. It was not a property I actually was interested in at the time. I only really meant to go do the property tour to meet the broker and, you know, build relationship with him. And then the deal ended up in my mind making a lot of sense. So we ended up pursuing that deal as our first deal hmm. as far as syndication. Yeah, it's interesting. People come from different backgrounds. I know you were a CPA, and I know you had an IT business, so you have this business background and you're just a numbers guy to the max, which I love about you. I know we worked on a deal together and, you know, maybe more, but just the idea of like using your strength to be able to come at it. Like for me, my background is sales. And so I love presenting and doing things like this and doing, going to conferences and meeting, working with investors and things like that. So everybody's got different things that they can bring to a deal. So a lot of times people think I've got to do this myself. And that's right. one of the biggest uh, I think limiters is you thinking that you have to do it by yourself. And if somebody's invested in a, a single family or in other things, a lot of that's a one person show, or maybe you have a property manager or something, but syndication, which is this larger thing, and it's not that difficult to do once you learn how to do it, it's just basically getting the right team in the right place. 
Um, so let's talk for a minute about multifamily investing. A lot of people may just be intrigued of like, you know, why is it that you love multifamily investing? What are some of the reasons that you think people that are not doing multifamily investing uh, should consider getting involved, whether it's passively investing in someone else's deal or actually doing the whole thing themselves? Yeah, good question for sure. And I do like some other investments and I invest passively in other areas outside of multifamily. But as far as leading uh, opportunities, it's all multifamily uh, apartments. Uh, some of the reasons I like it the most, and I can compare it to doing smaller properties when we're doing, you know, four units in, in you know, two to four units, essentially what we did before. One, the debt was recourse. You know, I was in my, I was 22 years old, bought my first deal. Um, we didn't really have, you know, a lot of money and, and it was a little nerve wracking to know that I had personal liability recourse loan with a, with a bank. Now we have, you know, several hundred million dollars in loans, but they're all not a recourse, which means we don't have personal liability. If you do something, you know, fraudulent, things like that, of course, you're going to have liability. But if you don't, you know, if you do things normally, you won't have any recourse on your, your debt, meaning the property by itself is what essentially the, the lender is lending against, the property performance. So that's one. Uh, the other one is the depreciation potential uh, benefits to people. My IT business, you know, I used to always talk to my CPA and um, I'm a CPA, but I don't really practice, right? So people think, you know, oh, I'll just give my taxes. Like, no, I don't, I don't practice being a CPA. I don't want to. Right. But I'd be like, man, you know, Mark, his name is Mark as well. I'm like, how do I get my taxes down? This is just so ridiculous. Like every year when I'm paying in taxes for my IT business and he's like, oh, you know, not really much you can do, you know? And, and really at the time there really wasn't much, but based on my current, you know, the situation I was in, well, you know, fortunately, we haven't paid any uh, federal income tax for, for three years, um, and it's a function of depreciation being allocated, and we are real estate professionals and things like that, Tamil and I are, but depreciation benefits can be huge, and to offset, you know, other income that you have coming in and things like that, each, each person has their own kind of, you know, tax situation, but for us, it's been life-changing. Taxes is what I used to pay in IT business versus now. The cash flow, depending on the type of property. There are a lot of other areas. The number one in my mind, if you compare uh, larger multifamily, largest relative, it's essentially five units and above, so not that large, is the way that's valued. It's going to be valued based on the performance of the property. And without going into all the details, if you sell your personal residence, people are going to, realtor is going to do a comp against other properties in the neighborhood and things like that and say, this is what your property is worth. Um, that isn't the way multifamily is valued. It's valued based on the performance of the business. And if you're not familiar with the term like cap rate, just think of it this way. For every dollar, I can increase my income or every dollar I can decrease my expenses. It's going to increase my net operating income. So every dollar, if I have a property and I do that, I sell it to Bronson, he'll give me $20 for every dollar. People like that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's the way it's valued. Think of it like a multiple, right? It's like a stock or things like that. So that is where you can start generating significant uh, wealth and also value in a property where you can do a refinance or a supplemental loan or a sale and pull out significant amounts of money. And it just does not exist on four units and below. Below, it just doesn't, it's not there. Yeah, yeah, it is really amazing too. You, know, you said uh, it really, these properties are based on income. And not just the you know comparable value of other places, which which is really amazing. Um, and you also mentioned you know some of the tax benefits. Obviously, if somebody's a busy professional, usually they pay 
very high taxes. I know in California where I live, the, the highest tax rate is above 50%. And so I have a lot of entrepreneur friends that just pay a ton in taxes. And I'm able, basically able to pay nothing or almost nothing in taxes because of the incentives that are offered to real estate. And I think the reason why the government has written the tax code that way is because we're actually providing low-income housing or, or working-class workforce housing. So there are a lot of things to, to really be, you know, to, to admire about multifamily investing. Uh, but what would you say, Mark, if someone's kind of on the outside looking in, uh, what's the biggest challenge for someone uh, who's wanting to do this for themselves? Well, initially, if you're going to look for properties, like we look for 100 plus units, it's really just not having a track record. So we're selling a lot of properties this year. We've sold other properties. Let's say, for example, you're brand new, Bronson, you never did a deal before, and you're you're putting an offer in a deal I'm selling. You're not even being considered. I won't even consider you as a buyer if you've not closed deals before because there are a thousand things that can go wrong on it. And I want you freaking out on the first deal that you do with my, my deal. Uh, so it's really just a credibility with, with sellers, credibility with brokers. If I call a broker that I know versus someone brand new calling a broker and they ask him, hey, you know, what have you done? Or I'm brand new, just getting involved in multifamily. It's just a different discussion, right? So it's allowed us to get a number of deals uh, we'll get discounts. Not we're not getting steal of a deal. Nobody is right now. Um, but we can come in in number of cases lower than maybe another buyer and still get the deal because of our reputation. We're good buyers. We're good sellers. Uh, but the number one issue people run into, without a doubt, I hear people say, "Oh, I don't have the net worth, the liquidity, or money for earnest money." And I'm like, if those are your only issues, don't even worry about it. Those are non-issues. Now. Well, provided people want to work with you, right? You have to be someone you want to work with. But be a nice generally guy. speaking, not an issue. Raising capital, you know, can be an issue for sure. People think, oh, you just, great deal. The money's just going to come. Well, if you don't have people in your database that you can rely on and you don't have a track record proving that you've been able to close a number of deals and performance of those deals, it's going to be very, very difficult to raise money on your own. And then like I already mentioned, as far as trying to just buy a deal, sellers and brokers don't want to sell. Uh, to people that are new. They just don't. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is. I think that you're right. That is a big challenge just of uh, inexperience and, you know, kind of overcoming that. And uh, I think for me, it was, you know, just trying to find a way to add value, right? Trying a way to find a way to to get into, you know, okay, if somebody's really good at looking at deals and, and good at operations, can I raise money or can I find a deal or can I, you know, help out with anything that needs to be helped out with? So it is really a big kind of team effort. And, and like you said, people have to want to work with you other else, you know, if you're not, you don't play nice in the sandbox, you're not going to be, nobody's going right. to want to work with you, which I mean, happens, which a, we see that. Yeah. We see it, right. I, IT business, I had some people that were remarkable as far as, you know, in their skill set for develop, development and things like that, but people don't work, didn't want to work with them. Yeah. So that's a big problem, right? So same with real estate. I mean, when you're maybe young, you might say, oh, I'm just going to work with whoever I can to get whatever, a buck or whatever, but you start getting a little bit older, you're like, I'm not working with jerks anymore. I'm just not, you know, and um, I want to work with people that I know I can trust and everyone, you know, says that, but people do compromise on, on things. And uh, I just, I wouldn't do it. You know, trust your gut when you meet with somebody um, and then, you know, go slowly before you start just doing a bunch of work with other people. Yeah, no, it's true. I think Warren Buffett says, we only work with people we like and trust. And it's 
it's really true because after a while you have a choice, you know, who do you want to work with? And, and, you know, it's just, life's too short, in my opinion, to work with people that are not either not good individuals, just not people of character. And uh, it's amazing what doors open just if you, uh, you know, are positive, you're trying to give something to the world, trying to have that abundant mindset that if I help others, you know, I can, I can get stuff back. And uh, I remember my first deal we did, I was trying to raise money from family and friends and I had 62 uh, phone calls I actually kept count 62 phone calls and just like went through surveys with every, you know, just people that could be interested and zero of them invested. And so wow. my first investor came from a meetup where I was leading and just kind of approached me and said, Hey, I'd invest with you. And I was in one of your deals. And I was like, great, I don't have any deals. I had to like wow. come up with a sample deal. And then I introduced him to another guy who was a, uh, somebody who, who does, you know, had been doing deals. He had a deal he was raising for. And so I basically became a partner on that deal. And that deal, we actually just finished. We just exited on, and it was like a 26% IRR or something. We got, we sold right. it. It turned out really well. But it's funny how these things that are big, they can start small. It can take six months, a year. It can take a long time. But, you know, Mark, I know for you, uh, being too busy is not an excuse because you you could work, you know, 80, 90, 100 hours a week. But if somebody says, hey, I'm too busy or, I, you know, I, I just don't have the time to do this, uh, you know, what are some ways people can get involved in uh, multifamily real estate? And you mean they they don't have any time to devote? Yeah, let's say they just don't have any time or they're limited on their time. Would you say just suck right. it up and make time? Or would you say invest passively? What are some options? I guess well, my, you know, and Tamil gets on me a little bit for this. Yeah, suck it up. I mean, everyone has the same number of hours in a day. I, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, people that make excuses not being able to work out, really. Okay, it's a choice, right? I mean, you either make time or you don't. I give up TV, you know, sleep less. Um, now, with all that, I would say I think you need to be careful about life balance. I, you know, I was out of whack for, you know, literally about 20 years. Um, and it can cause a lot of problems, you know, you know, family issues and things like that. So you want to get back to where you're in some balance. You might have certain seasons of your life where they're a little bit out of whack again because something's going on, but uh, you can. I would suggest you go a little slower and have some balance in your life versus going, you know, hundred miles an hour for years and years at a time. It's, it's not worth it. People can get involved other ways. If they have capital, you know, if someone has enough capital, they can usually come into even a GP spot. And if they have enough and get more equity in the deal, than just their limited partner position, they can maybe put earnest money down on a deal, just having capital or maybe sign a loan for net worth or liquidity those are other ways to get involved. But now if that's if someone really has no time at all and all they have is, you know, money, which is an important, you know, um, item to have. But most people, if you really do an inventory of what you're doing in a day, you're wasting a lot of time. Um, so I would say that, you know, you probably need to devote, you know, 10 hours minimum to this business. If you have a W-2 job, a lot of people in our group, you know, have W-2 jobs, a lot of them to be able to leave those jobs, which is great. But, um, you know, someone says I have five hours a week to devote to multifamily for the next year, you know, five hours every week, I'd say it's going to be pretty tough to get any traction. So I would, I probably wouldn't do it if that's really only, only time you have, but uh, 10 hours or more a week, I think is probably where it needs to be. Well, you brought up something really interesting, Mark, you know, people typically either have a wealth of time or a wealth of money. Uh, it's rare to some people are retired, have both time and money, and then you can kind of choose what you want to do. But uh, like when I was starting, it was like, okay, I had time. Well, actually, I didn't really have a lot of time, but I, I made the time because I saw how valuable it was. And then we were able to, you know, generate, basically able to generate 
from my efforts, equity in deals. And that's how I was able to get it. If other people have money, like let's say somebody is a listening or watching it as a physician or is, uh, has their own business, then you can come in with a place where you can provide more of a passive role, but you provide you know, liquidity or net worth, or you uh, invest more significantly and you get a bigger piece of the deal for doing that. It's a great way to get some experience too. So there are different ways to do it. So uh, again, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, watching are going to be new to uh, multifamily and just the concept of uh, these bigger real estate deals. But why don't you tell about a horror story or something that's gone wrong in a deal that comes to mind? Yeah, I unfortunately do have a horror story, which I've shared <laughs> before, not because I'm glad it happened or because, you know, it's really because there's some lessons learned. This is, you know, the making of, let's think of, you know, um, stealing money, you know, collusion, um, Korean mafia, and a death, basically, right? So those are all- That's the all in one deal? All in one deal, right? <laughs> so I had a partner that- um, I had done a couple of deals with, and then we had a third deal. He had already owned it. You know, I'll explain a couple real quick lessons learned on that, but he already owned the deal. His partner was getting out of it. So I syndicated the deal, brought some people in, got his partner out. And after about two months, it was a big value add deal. And I was like, this, I made a surprise visit to the property. And I'm like, this does not seem like it's going the way it should go. And we fortunately had a board of directors and we were able to request some information um, formally and we never got it. Um, so we ended up removing him. He was a property manager as well. So I don't like that, frankly, I don't, I don't like having a general partner. that's also a property manager. So that was a mistake in my mind. Removed him, uh, removed part of his equity, reduced it down litigation. He sued me personally because I reduced his equity, but he stole money. So it was a little odd. And, uh, we're litigation for, you know, a couple of years, you know, and it ended up being where, you know, unfortunately, during litigation, he, he passed away and, you know, very, very unfortunate. He had a wife and three kids and things like mm -hmm. that. So um, it just never, you know, we weren't going to get any money, put it that way. Um, so another lesson learned was he had the property I mentioned already, and we bought into the existing LLC. There's some reasons why people do that. There's some reasons why we did that, but I would never do that again. Because what happened, even after we removed him, we, as soon as we removed him, he started, we started getting some liens on the property. And one vendor in particular sent us, I think it was like 900 invoices. Oh, wow. Never recorded on the books. And they were from 10, 12 months before I even came into the deal. Doesn't matter anymore. So I'm sitting there in mediation and different you know, aspects. I have no knowledge of what's going on. I mean, yeah. how bad is that, right? Um, so if we did not buy into LLC, it would have been a different situation. I'm not saying that some of these things couldn't have still happened, but it definitely would have protected us somewhat against some of these these um, liens and vendors. That we know for, for sure he was in collusion with. We hired a forensic accountant, did a bunch of stuff, right? But that ended up you know, causing stress like you wouldn't believe in a financial burden for sure. And just uh, very, very bad. So two lessons in my mind, more than that, but two lessons would be, I don't want to use a proper manager that also has a GP stake in it. I just don't like that situation personally. And um, buying into an existing LLC, which a lot of people do for tax purposes, I would suggest um, not doing that. 
and or escrowing a certain amount of funds available that would be escrowed for 12 months, 18 months, I don't know, pick a number that would sit in escrow in case something like this happened. Right, so, so this one you'd say uh, with the LLC, you'd prefer not to have an LLC. Is that right? Uh, well, we bought into an existing LLC. Oh, you bought into an existing. Okay, so this was an existing deal. And I so see so I got it laid. And yeah, yeah. Very, <laughs> very cautious in doing right. that. People do gotcha. it. Yeah. So um, that's basically somebody wants to sell their their shares, and then you guys took the shares and came into it that way. Okay. That's right. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so let's uh, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. Um, how do you see uh, you know with with multifamily apartments? Uh, everybody's talking about inflation these days. How do you see inflation affecting uh, apartment ownership or just the way that it's affecting kind of the outlook going forward with apartments? I think it's favorable. So I don't, you know, a lot of people try to project and people guess and people very emphatically say something's going to happen. And most of the time they're wrong more than they're right. But I'll tell you my position on it. Uh, inflation is high. No question about it. Rents are going up and up and up across the board. Every location we own properties in our debt as of right now is fixed. So if inflation's going up, you know, 10 plus percent and our debt doesn't change, that's good, right? We're still paying the same amount, but our rents are going up drastically in these areas. So, uh, but our, some of our expenses are too. We're paying maintenance guys, you know, and gals, uh, you know, maybe three, $4 more an hour than we would have been six months ago or a year ago. So, but I think right now rents are disproportionately going up higher than our expenses, which is great. We're just going to drive up our net operating income and make the property worth more. So, I just think, you know, if multifamily is in trouble for a reason, then every other almost asset class period across the, the globe is in trouble. Right. Because everyone needs a place to live. And, uh, you know, um, people are paying the extra rents right now. Yeah. And it seems too that, you know, that everything is in support of people keeping a place to stay, particularly in an apartment, even if things got really bad like they did. And 2009 or so with the uh, Great Recession, you know, people that lose their homes, they would go to apartments. And so part of rents in general stayed pretty stable in most areas. Obviously, every area is different, but um, especially with all this money printing, it really does lead to higher costs as far as help, as you're saying, but it also leads in general to higher rent because that usually goes into the cost of ownership as that goes up. Whatever inflation does, it just means that, you know, the cost of ownership goes up, especially if rates rise. But if you have this cash flowing asset, and you have some sort of longer, you know, debt on it that's fixed for some amount of a term. You can just continue to hold it, which is really uh, attractive. So, um, I know Mark, you run a community uh, called Think Multifamily, and you train people to do this. This is, you know, your business, and you also partner with some uh, students on deals, and you have, you know, over 100 people that do this with you, and it's it's a great program. I've obviously been, I haven't been through the program, but I'm you've been associated with a lot of your students and, and graduates and whatnot. But uh, can you talk a little bit about just what it is you do to help train people? And if somebody wants to reach out, kind of how they can connect with you? Yeah. So first of all, we I really had no desire to do any education, you know, five plus years ago. I didn't. And uh, Tamil didn't either. But through some circumstances, uh, it kind of came to where people were like, hey, maybe you guys should do some webinars and do, you know, some meetups. And we started doing that. And then we started doing events and just kind of fell in love with uh, the whole Kind of process and in trying to help people that may be in situations I'm in or some other situation that they want to get out of or people that want to contribute more. Um, 
the the whole idea for me, I am more on the technical side is a general statement. Uh, so I always was like, I want the most educated people, period, no matter what, because I think there are a lot of things that aren't taught. A lot of things are brushed under the rug. Stories aren't shared. I know people that have problems all over in these groups and they never talk about them. They're doing capital calls left and right and no one ever discusses those things, which is bad. You need to learn from those things to, to protect people, right? And protect investors too. So I always wanted people to be educated, but the biggest thing is we have all the videos, we have all the you know stuff like that, but it's hands-on. So we had, I think it was like 74% of the people who joined our group got into a general partnership in six months or less. Um, that's extremely high compared to other people in the, in the, in the market, but it's hands-on. And then the whole, that's like the technical aspect of it. The community was really more something that my wife, Tamil wanted to develop. And at the time I was like, I just want to go do deals. You know, I just, uh, when I did IT, I mean, I didn't really chat with people at work much and things like that. I just was doing fixing problems, right? Big, big problems. So, but to me, it was like, no, we're going to have this community to make a family. We're going to go on vacation together. I'm like, mm-hmm, okay, well, who's, who's going to want to do that? Uh, I'm not sure I even want to do that, you know, at the time. And well, through, through doing this, you know, all our friends are from the group and we, you know, we've been on, when a catamaran, we just got back um, in summer. We had 70 people in Florida on vacation, really no agenda, just hang out, pool, awesome. beach, and eat and things like that. A lot of the kids are developing very strong relationships inside the group. And, you know, we have, you know, there are a number of just different uh, friendships, I think hopefully lifelong friendships being developed. So I think it, it's there's two aspects to it. One is, yes, people want to do deals and people want to make money for whatever reason they, you know, whether it's for themselves or for other people, but they want to make money. You, you might as well make money if you're going to put time into it. But the community aspect of the family environment and people working together and hopefully not really competing against each other. A lot of groups, people compete against each other and drive pricing way up. We try to avoid that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the group kind of dynamic and culture. And for me personally, it's been life-changing because all our friends are from the group now and we hang out on a regular basis, um, usually weekly. Um, and we you know, like said, we go on vacation together and things like that. So it's been really, really cool for, for me personally. That's great. And that's thinkmultifamily.com if people want to connect with you. Yes, sir. Okay, awesome. Well, Mark, I wanted to uh, thank you and celebrate obviously 10,000 plus units. That's quite an accomplishment. I know you're uh, you're still going. It seems like you're you're still you know the steam is continuing to uh, to really inspire me and a lot of others. But what's really want to uh, commend you for the group that you've built, for the collaborative nature of just the way that you work with individuals, kind of the no nonsense way that you approach deals and life and people, kind of the what you see is what you get. I've really appreciated all that. So um, thanks again for for coming on today. This has been really fun. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thanks, Bronson. Appreciate it. So 10,000 units, that's quite an accomplishment for anyone to be able to do. And Mark is just continuing to go. So if you're saying, hey, I want to get involved, I want to figure out how to do deals, mention a few ways of doing that. Some people do smaller multifamily deals. Uh, typically, financing is favorable from one to four units. So getting a small multifamily, that can be a way to get started. Other people will invest passively in deals. So Mark's group does deals. We do deals. There's a lot of folks that uh, do deals where they take typically a minimum of 75 or 100K uh, to come into a deal. 
And basically, it usually involves uh, starting a relationship, kind of joining someone's investor club, and then hearing about the deals as they come out. So you can reach out to us at bronsonequity.com if you're interested in that, or uh, you can reach out to Mark's group, thinkmultifamily.com. Uh, but uh, there's a couple of the things that he said, just that, again, when you look at this massive kind of empire that he built, it didn't happen in a day. It happened through just process and experience and learning. And even after uh, we finished this uh, this recording, we talked a little bit about just, you know, stuff you'd have to be willing to kind of let things go. Don't, you know, not dwell on little things and just kind of keep the big picture in mind and be a team player and all that stuff. So really important. But I'd love to know what you think about this, uh, about this episode. Hopefully you liked it. Maybe make a comment on social media or send me an email at Bronson at bronsonequity.com. You can uh, send me a message there. Just let me know uh, what you liked or even who you would like me to interview and I will try to get them. So uh, thanks for taking the time to educate yourself and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune next time for more Mailbox Money.